0: Hey, what's up? My name is Dusty Otis. I am the lead pastor here at The Grove in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for taking part of your day to be a part of this church, to engage in this message, for supporting our ministry. It means more than you know. None of what we get to do happens without you. I pray that today's message speaks to your heart. I hope that it helps you move forward in your relationship with God, and I hope that you become just a little bit better in following Jesus because you took the time to listen today. Enjoy the message.
1: Series about staying healthy or getting healthy for the new year rather than waiting for the new year to hit and then we start trying to do things right. Uh, His series is about let's get things right now so that when the new year hits, we go, Hey, I'm already hitting and running. So, with that in mind, I prayed and I said, Lord, what do I preach on this? And the answer was, I want you to preach my first sermon. How many of you know Jesus's first sermon? Oh, Julie, you're the preacher's wife, you've heard it a thousand times. Now, Jesus had uh, two really big sermons, the first sermon, which nobody remembers, and the second one, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That one takes about 30 minutes to read through. His first sermon is only one sentence, one sentence. If you read through the book of Matthew, this is the first thing that Jesus tells us to do. Let's put verse 17, Matthew 4, 17, if you have your Bibles, open them there. If not, we'll put them on the screen. Here it is. From verse 17, it says, From then on, Jesus began to preach. And his sermon was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repeat after me. Turn from your sins. Turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, I promise you, Jesus didn't go to all the towns and villages in his area, walk in and say, Turn from your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. See you. But that was the gist of what his message was. John the Baptist preached the same thing. John the Baptist said, Turn from your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. There is one coming whose I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. That would be Jesus. Jesus hits the ground running, and his sermon is the same. Turn from your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In that one little sentence, it gives us two things to do and the reason to do them. First thing to do is turn from your sins. Let me hear you say, turn from your sin. And I know you have heard sin, the word sin. How many of you know what sin really is? Uh, Julie, the preacher's wife, once again. <laughs> your answer, you straight A student too, always had the answers. No. So if, if Jesus said, turn from your sins, okay, well, what are sins? What is sin? And my definition used to be sin is doing what God says not to do or not doing what God says to do. Let me give you another version of it that's even easier. James chapter 4, verse 17. i put that on the screen. Here's what James, and James was the little brother to Jesus. Jesus was born of the you know, Son of God, but he had four little brothers. James and Jude were two of those brothers. He had four brothers and two sisters. So Jesus was the first of seven kids. So anyway, here's what his brother says. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. I know what I ought to do, and then not do it. He doesn't even tell us what all the sins are, but I'm going to give you that later. But he says, if you know what you ought to do, but you don't do it, you just sinned against God. With that definition alone, how many of you have sinned against God in the past week? Raise your hand. Yeah. Come on, every hand ought to go up. Don't tell me somebody's lived sin perfectly. I was at the grocery store yesterday, King Supers Arrow on Harmony. I had my groceries, put them in my truck. The place was very crowded. Uh, The grocery cart rack was a few rows over and way down there, and it was full to overflowing. And I put them in my my truck, closed the doors, and I looked around, and I noticed that a lot of people in my area were just leaving their cart on the sidewalks or pop it up and put it in the garden so it doesn't roll back out. And I thought, hmm. I said, I think I'll just do that, too. And then I had this question pop into my mind. I said, hmm, what's the right thing to do? Now, I know you're not Bible scholars and theologians, but I'm going to ask you this loaded question right now. You're in the grocery cart parking lot. Everybody else or a lot of people have put their carts on the sidewalks and on the, by the trees and all that stuff. The grocery cart rack is way down there. What's the right thing to do? Well, how about that? Well, you don't need this sermon after all. You already know right from wrong. James, thank you for making it simple. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And uh, I want you to know that I'm a righteous man. I looked, I said, well, and I literally, hmm, what's the right thing to do here? And let me hear you say, hmm, what's the right thing to do here? Most of us get in trouble because we just go ahead and do whatever we want to do. We never pause and go, hmm, what's the right thing to do here? I'm trying to stay clean and sober. My buddies are all going out, and they invited me to go. Hmm, what's the right thing to do here? I'm trying to make good grades and get into whatever I want to go into, but I don't know the answer to this question. The girl next to me seems to be really good at it. Hmm, what's the right thing to do here? I'm at a stoplight in the middle of nowhere at 2.30 in the morning. There's not another car in sight. The light is red. Hmm, what is the right thing to do here? You see how easy it is to slip into that? James, I want to thank you for making it so easy. If you know what you ought to do and you don't do it, ding, 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 you just rung the sin bell. You say, well, I thought sin was the big bad stuff, murder, hatred, and all of that. Yeah, it is that. But I'm giving you James' simple version. It's knowing what you ought to do and not doing it. I know I ought not to do that, but I do it, sin. I know I should do that, but I don't do it, sin. It's that simple. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all miss the mark. Jesus' sermon is, turn from your sin, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, uh, what is sin? We just learned that. What are sins? Uh, Throughout Jesus' teaching, Paul's teaching, the writings of the New Testament, there are a lot of what I call sin lists where Jesus just spouts off, you know, some sins, and then Paul has a list too. So Here are some sins. Let's start with Jesus. His first sin list is really good. Mark 7 20. Uh, We'll put the verse up there. Let me give you the background to it. Uh, His disciples were eating food and they hadn't washed their hands. Ceremonial washing. They were hungry. Hey, there's some food. They just ate it. Same thing you and I do when we're working or something. Grab some food and eat. The religious leaders who love to hang around Jesus and pick him to death and find everything he did wrong. They came to him. They said, hey, We notice your disciples aren't washing their hands. They're just eating. They're not following the rules, the the traditions. And Jesus got pretty tired of them. If ever Jesus got frustrated, it was only with the religious people of his day. And he said, you people, you're like what Isaiah said. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And he went on to explain. He said, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you or makes you sinful in the eyes of God. He said, it's what comes out of your heart. And this is where he gives his list. And then he added, It's what comes from your inside, your heart, that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. One more time. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Now leave that screen up there. On the count of three, I want you to point to the one you are most guilty of in the last two weeks. I'll let you read the list again. I know you're thinking, well, gosh, the most guilty, not all, but just the one in the last two weeks. You go, well, okay, that one was probably there. If you've got it in mind, raise your hand. Now I want you to point at the screen so that we all know which one you're guilty of. There you are. All right, no looking behind the person in front of you to see what they're okay so you've got that sin list jesus had a sin list paul had a sin list we have sin lists. nobody is guilty of all the sins listed in the bible but everybody is guilty of some of them it's a spiritual war there's god and jesus and the holy spirit on the good side and there's satan and the demons on the bad side don't know how it all plays out, but it's what explains why. Why do I know it's wrong, but yet I still want to do it? Or why do I know I ought to do that, but I don't do that? That's the battle we have. Jesus kept it simple. Turn from your sin, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That was Jesus' sin list. Paul had a lot of sin lists. He had them um, yeah, in mean, Romans, Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. All Every letter that Paul writes, he gives you the theology at the beginning of his letter. And then he gives you the do's and the don'ts. He said, stop doing this. These are the things that need to be out of your life. And then he said, start doing these. These are that. So it's not just a don't, 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 don't. But it's a don't, and here's what you do. So here's Paul's sin list, and this one's out of Galatians. He had a bunch, but I'll just give you this one. Galatians 5.19. Let's go. When you follow the desires of your what? You're right, that's the right answer. And it's there, so all together, so I know you're not sleeping. When you follow the desires of your. Remember, Jesus said, Turn from your sins and turn to God. But he says, Here's your sinful nature the old you, the old me, the ones that naturally do what God says not to do. Here they are. The results are very clear. This is what defines your life sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, worshiping things rather than God, sorcery, which the Greek word for that is pharmakia which is where we get our drug abuse thing, but sorcery is that. Think of drug abuse as sorcery. You say, well, what about drunkenness and all that? Sit tight. We're coming to that. But Right now, idolatry, drug abuse, hostility, that anger, mad at the world, snapping at everybody, quarreling, arguing all the time, jealousy, wish I had what they had, outbursts of anger. Uh, You know what that is? Selfish ambition, dissension, splitting groups and friends and people apart, division, next one. envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. That's my favorite sin, Paul. Thank you for putting that last one in there. Other sins like these. Okay, go back to that list again. All right, there they all are one more time. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, pleasure, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. On the count of three, point to the one you're most guilty of on this list. One, two, three, go. Uh-huh. okay. Well, that, can, that includes the one before it too. Man, look what he says. This is what scares the uh, uh, scares me. <laughs> uh, scares, yeah, it scares me. He said, "Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God." Anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. We say, well, we're all guilty of them. And most of us are guilty of some of them in the last one or two weeks. That mean I'm not going to heaven? No. But when he says that is living this sort of life, in other words, I'm doing this. I know it's wrong. I know God says it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. When that becomes your habitual life, denying God, do not think that a prayer at the end of the service or taking communion is going to get you into heaven. God looks at our heart. Uh, I'll give you a truth here. A lot of people, including myself at one point, we all tend to think that heaven is for good people and hell is for bad people, right? I mean, Mother Teresa goes to heaven because she's good. Adolf Hitler goes to hell because he's bad. Heaven is, that's not, that's not taught in the Bible. Heaven is not for good people. Heaven is for people who have turned from their sins and turned to God. All of us have sinned, maybe not Adolf Hitler you know, level stuff, but we've all done these things that God says don't do. So we're all guilty. But the difference between a heaven-bound person and a hell-bound person is a heaven-bound person says, I trust Jesus. He says to stop doing these things. So by God's strength and grace, I will stop it. The, the hell-bound person is godless and says, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in God. Yes, all of those things are what are ruining my life, but I believe when I die, most of them just say, well, I, I go nowhere. I go to the dirt. But God talks about a heaven and a hell. Jesus' first sermon, turn from your sins. There they are. And then he says, turn to God. So uh, let's talk about that. Let me hear you say, turn to God. The, uh, sins are kind of like cavities in your teeth. Uh, it says, turn from your sin. Turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You got a cavity in your tooth, they drill it out. Now the cavity's gone. You got a hole in your tooth. But if you don't fill the hole with something good, then the cavity comes back and it's worse than before. So cavities are a drill fillum experience. Drill out the bad, fill it with the good. Jesus' first sermon basically is a drill em and fill em sermon. He says, drill out the bad stuff in your life, turn from your sins, and then turn to God. Replace anger with calmness. Replace envy with uh, contentment. Replace judgmental attitude with acceptance of people replace the uh, drunkenness or the drug abuse with sobriety and cleanness. Replace adultery or sexual immorality with morality. You get the bad out, you get the good in, and that's the life that God calls you to live. Um, It's a serious issue. Over and over it tells us turn from your sin, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That was Jesus' first message. It was also Peter's last message. Don't put that one up yet. Uh, A few years ago, I was a a long time ago, I was a youth intern. I was working 40 hours a week for the summer for free. You say, how did that work? Well, it was, it was, I mean, it was, it was a great experience, but I didn't make any cash in it, but I, I learned how to do ministry. And I preached my sermon. The last week I was there, I preached on a Sunday night, to maybe 25 or you know, 30 people. Anyway, a few years ago, the pastor's wife, uh, Mrs. Long, she was dying at her house, had cancer. And I went by and saw her and said, hey, you know, she said, I said, do you remember me? She goes, absolutely, I remember you. And we sat and talked. And she said, "Uh, do you remember the first sermon you ever preached? And I said, "Uh, yes, ma'am. I said, it was supposed to be 20 minutes long. It was over in about seven minutes. And she said, but do you remember what it was? I said, yes, ma'am. Do you? And She goes, I sure do. You said, as a sinner, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a sinner returns to the error of his ways. That was my message after I preached that, I said to my pastor, I don't ever want to preach again. That was 45 years ago, been going pretty much every week. Let me show you that verse because what Jesus started his ministry with in Matthew 4:17, Peter is at the end of his life and here's his message. he says, second uh, uh, Peter 2:20. he says, "And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, turn from your sins." He says, and then they get tangled up and enslaved by sin again. They are worse off than before. Remember the cavity. If you drill it but don't fill it, it's going to come back worse. You drill it and fill it. Then he says it would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command that they were given to live a holy life. And here comes my famous message, verse 22. They prove the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit, and another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. I'm going to have a true confession before you today. Look at me closely right now. I will admit to you that after I have trusted Jesus, and after I have quit some of those sins that I pointed to, I did them again. I know everybody here, you stop it, and you fill it with righteousness, and you never go back. But I'm one of those wicked reprobates. I knew it was wrong. I stopped doing it, stopped hanging around the people do it, starting to follow Jesus. And then at some time or another, I went right back to it. I would love to blame the people that got me back into the things that I'd gotten out of. But it ain't their fault. On judgment day, the Lord's not going to say, Robert, what do you say? I'm like, well, Lord, it was them. He said, no, I'll talk to them later. What do you say? My decision was to leave the sin, get out of it, and go back to it. And then I got out of it again, and this is a verse, kind of was the turning point in my life. First sermon I ever preached, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a sin returns to the error of his ways. Have you ever seen a dog throw up and then go back and start licking it up? Isn't that an awful picture? <laughs> and yet that's how God describes it. If you turn from your sin and you don't fill yourself up with the righteousness of God, you will go back to it. And when you go back to it, it would be worse for you then than it was when you were trying to get out. It's a serious message. Paul started, Peter started, Jesus started it with his beginning of his message. And it's one of the last messages the Apostle Peter preached before he was crucified upside down for being a follower of Jesus. The message is not all that hard. First sermon of Jesus, turn from your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So turn from your sins, turn to God, and then the reason being why? Why do I have to quit doing right and start doing? Uh, quit doing wrong, and start doing right, because the kingdom of heaven is near. What does that mean? Well, when Jesus was speaking, it meant the spirit of God, the Son of God, was on the earth, and that redefined life as as we live it. Uh, Our culture is built on the truths of Jesus Christ. Most countries who have succeeded were built on the truths of the New Testament. How to treat people, how to forgive people, how to not judge people, all the things that we desire. God talks about them here. It's all based on this. Now, people come along and say, well, yeah, it's just man's ideas. No, they're God's ideas. The stuff that works is straight from heaven. He says, turn from your sin, for the kingdom of heaven is near. But the second meaning is this. The kingdom of heaven is nearer to you and me than any of us really would like to know. You're not that far away from uh, being out of this world. We all know we're going to die. We all think it's going to happen when we're 80 or 90, but it doesn't. Three weeks ago, yesterday, I was uh, fishing with a friend. Came upon a dead man. I was fishing with a friend up in Poudre Canyon. We'd been fishing all day. It was dusk. We were driving back. And, uh, you know, you'd driven up Poudre Canyon. It's, you know, a lot of twists and turns and, and a lot of ravines and stuff. We went around a turn, and there was an elderly couple standing there on the side of the road, and they were waving and, and doing all of that. Obviously, they were you know needed help. I pulled over and I said, "Can we help you?" And the lady was just all shaken up, and she says, "There's been a single car accident. is down in the ravine," and she said, "I think the man is dead." And uh, my friend was a doctor, so you know, so we pulled over immediately, and uh, there it was, suburban or Tahoe or something, way down in the bottom of the ravine. And we climbed down the cliff, climbed, got, as best we could, got down there to see if we, if the guy was really dead, if we could help him, what do you do? I mean, you would do the same thing. We get down there, and the truck is leaning 45 degrees on a tree, river's right there, so you kind of have to be careful. You don't know if the tree snaps, but we were able to check the guy. He was hanging out the driver's side window, uh, hanging down to the ground. He'd obviously had blunt force trauma to his head. Uh, We checked him. There was no life. Uh, He was was a man that died. Uh, There was no phone service, no cell service, so you couldn't call anybody. And the lady said she had told somebody to go to the next place, the mission, you know, tell them what's happened. So we stood around for a little bit, nothing we could do. The guy was gone, so we got in our truck and left. And we prayed for the guy. Lord, I pray for his wife or his mother or his brothers or sisters or his children. Uh, because you know, they're about to get the terrible news of their life tonight uh, that somebody has been killed. And we went on our way. I had looked at the scene, and my buddy did too, and you could see where the car went around the, the turn, and in that split second of not looking, and you can't text up there, so he wasn't texting, we know that, but if he was looking for the radio or something, but you could just see where his car, no skid marks, just went right across the road, down the ravine, hit a tree, Blunt force trauma, he's dead. It probably took three seconds for that to happen. Driving along, heading up the mountains, not paying attention. (laughs) Over there, he screams, goes down the ravine, hits a tree. Boom, his life is over. Three seconds is not a whole lot of time to say, Lord, I've made a few mistakes in my life, but I trust you now. I ask you to forgive me. If this is the end, please help me. Lord, save me. Amen. Three seconds is one, two, three. Driving along, all of a sudden flying off a cliff, <gasps> ah, go down, hit the thing, boom, dead. Blunt force trauma. I mean, it was—it happened quickly. Wasn't any lingering. You say, wow, that's a spooky story. That's, I mean, first responders see that every week. You know, we see it occasionally. But here's what I want you to remember. Your time to leave this earth, you know, we've all had close calls with death, near accidents, things that have happened. We've all been there. But they didn't happen to us yet. But sooner or later, one of them is going to catch up. It's going to be a three-second accident, instant death. It's going to be a Widowmaker heart attack where we're standing up, we hit it, and we're dead before we hit the ground. It's going to be a gunshot accident. It's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a stroke. It's going to, Some may be sudden, quick, and it's over. And no time to say, Lord Jesus, you know what Robert said. I think I'm going to trust you now and ask your forgiveness. You don't have time to do that in three seconds. Maybe. You get cancer, and it takes three or four months, and you get time to say, Lord, I need to make things right. But maybe it's not that way. That guy didn't have time to say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and forgive my sins. But you do. You have more than three seconds to make Jesus Lord of your life today. Jesus, what was your first sermon again? I said, repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus, what is the right thing to do? The right thing to do is to believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and was raised from life from the dead, and then to trust him in his forgiveness, and then to live for him. The right thing to do is stop doing what you know is wrong and to start doing what you know is right through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well I tried to stop that and I just can't do it. Trust Jesus because he gives you the power to do whatever he asks you to do. It's a matter of salvation. I don't know when your time is scheduled to go. Don't know when mine is either. But all I know is this. Jesus left heaven, came to earth, lived a really hard life, and died a miserable death, shed more blood than anybody would ever dream of. All of this so that the world could say, Lord Jesus, I accept your forgiveness for my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live the rest of my life for you. That was Jesus' first sermon and that was Peter's last sermon. Make it your life.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. It means more than you know to have you with us. And to all of you who partner with us and support the mission of our church, thank you. We cannot be the church without you. Go ahead and click the link in the description to partner with us now, or you can visit thegrovefc.com forward slash partner. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to like and subscribe. And if you know someone who would benefit from hearing this message, share it with them. This is how the gospel goes forward. Thanks again for being here today. God bless you.